This is Just a Few Questions. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Helen Schiller. Helen Schiller is the former alder person of the 46th Ward here in the city of Chicago. Welcome to the show, Helen Schiller. Thank you. Sure, Helen <laughs> Schiller, I have, I have your book right now. I'm looking at it right now. It's in my hands. And so tell us, can you tell us a little bit about your book, Daring to Struggle, Daring to Win, Five Decades of Resistance in Chicago's uptown community. Okay, so this is my slice of my of the experience that I had collectively with many other people in uptown and in Chicago. And um, I wrote it. it. It also has a backstory to it, you know, sort of the origin story. Um, but it is the focus is really. Uh, the decade, the 70s and the beginning of the 80s, the decades of organizing in Uptown, involvement in citywide coalitions, including the breadth of activities throughout Chicago uh, that ultimately led to the election of Harold Washington, um, his first term, and then my, um, my six terms as alderman. And uh, that's sort of the focus of the book. My reason for writing it was really my frustration with the political scene nationally, locally, and my fear, my sort of, I guess you could say to a certain extent that fighting fascism is in my DNA and I see it, I see the potential for it and I'm concerned about it. And I felt that if there's any lessons to be learned from my experience, I needed to get it out there because I think that's really, we, we have a lot of, a lot of a lot of forward moving activity that is required in the future if um, if we're going to have any kind of humane society and um, that concerns me so I love the book and there it's out there and I'm really thankful that you mentioned it no I've read the book I have to force one of those people have to force myself to read I ain't gonna lie to you but your book was 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 riveting because it's about my hometown, yeah. Chicago. So you know, it was it was it's a really good read. So I brought you here to uh, talk about the book. Also, answer, okay. answer this question. Here you go. Yeah, is Chicago Helen Schiller is Chicago ready for reform? Okay, so I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I've been thinking about this a lot. And um and and when you you also uh, sent me a, a what do you call it a dictionary definition of uh, reform and um, so I want to start there because I think that we look at reform in different ways. Um, so the definition you sent out of the dictionary is um, makes change, reform makes, makes change meaning, means make change in order to improve an institution or practice and um, you also said an opportunity to reform and restructure an antiquated uh, model, schooling model, I think. Um, at any rate, I wanted to start there because for me, there are people who talk about reform as though um, all we have to do is, is, is open up government so we can see what's happening. Um, uh, and if we do that and we talk about ethics and everything will be fine. Um, and then there, then there, and I have a, I've always had a problem with that because it always seemed very superficial. It never got you to an answer. It was a recurring theme. We kept having needs for reform over and over again, um, so-called. And uh, so I really wanted to think about this. And what came to mind was what Harold Washington said immediately upon being elected to the city, to the as mayor of the city of Chicago. And that was 
that his focus or his primary goal ultimately would be to address institutional racism and institutional corruption. That that was not something that was going to happen overnight, that it would take 20 years to get to the point where you really had an impact on the a cultural, um, uh, uh, ethical, whatever you, an in, in internalization of the changes that you might institute to get to that undermining and changing the institutional nature of racism and corruption in Chicago, but that you have to go through the process to get there and it might take 10 years to internalize it. I mean, 20 years to internalize it. Um, I think actually it might take longer, but his point was really well taken and for me really speaks this question of reform. You know, a lot of people look back and say, use the quote from, what's his name, uh, Baller, who was an old machine guy back in the day in Chicago, who said Chicago's not ready, ain't ready for reform. And I take that as meaning, look, you're gonna try and change my relationship and the relationship of other people like me to power, we're gonna fight back. So when you talk about any institution and you're changing any institution, you're talking about challenging somebody's power. And um, I think that for most of us, when we think of reform, we have in our mind's eye, at least, change that's going to be something, a change in the power structure that would allow more people to have access, more people to have a, a better life, more people to have policies that hear their needs and speak to them broadly, that don't just answer and aren't just not the domain of the handful of people who are in power. So I think that, or benefit from the system the way it is. So I think that the best way to look at the question of reform is are we, or for me the goal of reform is in a city like this is affordability, is, uh, is, is building community, it is public health and public safety. It is all of those things from the perspective of the breadth of people and how is it that we really can live together in a society that's moving forward, responding to the needs that all of us have and giving us the potential to be able to create community which really gives us um, a good quality of life and provides a future for ourselves and our children and creates the opportunity for all of us to realize that greatest potential. So for me, that's the goal of reform. And if it's anything else, if it doesn't have that material impact, it's not relevant. So is Chicago ready? Yeah. If we provide, if the, it is and it isn't. It's a constant struggle. And I think that we're um, in this next series of elections because there are so many people that there's so much of a change that's going on uh, that we have a real potential to have, uh, to uh, elect a team that is much more forward-looking than we have seen in a long time, collectively. So that's what I think. You also that's what I think. Uh, it, no, that was excellent. You also said in your book that you 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 said you you also learned how fragile power is, and yeah. how activists and community leaders, um, uh, how much you actually say activists, community leaders. Uh, they they have this power, but they don't realize it. I'm taking the quote out of context, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I do. So I think that um, I think that most people uh, when who are engaged in struggle, especially when there's a there's a component to it of electing somebody to represent them or to carry take another aspect of the struggle in another direction. Um, you know, because there's always when you want to make change, you engage in community action, you engage in legal action, you engage in 
um, political action. You do a lot of things in order to be able to have an effect. Um, and one piece of that is electing people. And I think that we tend to assume that people who are elected on whatever level, I, I don't care if you're talking about president or you're talking about alderman or anything in between, there is an expectation that people can do more than they really can do. Sometimes it's by the elected official themselves, and sometimes it's just by the people that have elected them. And I think that it's really important to be aware of what it takes to be able to actually affect the things that you think are important. From the perspective of an elected official, I think uh, there needs to be a seat to swim in. There needs to be the ability, especially in the city of Chicago, as an example, there are 50 aldermen. You want to get something passed. And then you also have an executive branch that the mayor represents and has control over all the departments. And you want to be in a situation where you can get all of those, enough of the aldermen, 26, and um, a situation where the mayor's office, all of that, and the mayor can, um, uh, can that you can move them to agree to do things they might not have done before. For me, that was affordable housing. It was, um, it was changes in the police contract. It was the tripling the spending on AIDS. It was all sorts of things. Um, and uh, sometimes I was more successful than others, but I was always dependent upon there being a sea to swim in that really forced the issue. It was organizing efforts externally that forced the issue also educated and informed uh, myself as well as my, and especially my colleagues and myself uh, to be able to uh, get the amount of, of support that's necessary to actually pass an ordinance and therefore hopefully affect change. And in order to do that, I think you have to always be having a seat to swim in to help you move from your left. In my case, I mean, you could do it from the right, but I'm interested in forward looking, not backward looking in terms of solutions. Um, so I think it's really important to have that people who are organizing, creating that sea, and, and, and creating the dynamic that allows you and gives you the, the, the various different resources you need to also win over colleagues and move forward and make change. So that's one aspect of power is something that's not individually realized. When it is, usually it's done in a manner that is uh, not very positive. It's someone that's manipulative, often manipulative, um, cutting people out, controlling people's lives. That's not what we want. We want a situation where you can move forward and the solutions, you're not defending uh, something that was, but you're creating the potential for the future and what's something that needs to be. Um, but I think that that sometimes we get very cynical and don't do that because we think people have more power than they have and we don't understand the power that we have collectively from a community's perspective, from an organizing perspective, from an activist perspective, from, from the perspective of this is the needs that people have and no one's addressing it. What do we do about it to make sure that that, that change occurs? There's power in that, and there's power when people come together to 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 really to to really build a consensus to force an issue to make change. Well, as you will know, Chicago has changed a lot, somewhat, if you will, since yeah. you, since your days of activism. You started in Wisconsin, and uh, came on down to Uptown. Uh, this is not the same town. Um, demographics yeah. change, but uh, the people who have power—it's like different people, but the same people, at the same time. We got power and money and power. So how yeah, but there but there are some differences. So let me um, so there's been some forward movement, and there's a bunch of areas where there needs to be a lot more. So it, it 
you don't have to acknowledge the for the positive stuff uh, by denying the stuff that still needs to be done. You know, people always say this: there's some, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I don't really buy that. I think that the more things change, the more clear it is that there's more we have to do. <laughs> Um, and uh, I think that one of the things that I, I think that it's really important to understand um, Harold Washington in that period of time. It was only uh, five, four, almost, not even five years that he was mayor, um, and and he had huge opposition in the first four, first three of those years, a little less in the fourth, and even less in the fifth. But um, just as he was really able to begin to have more control over the situation, he died. And the consequence was that the movement that had really been built and really represented what I said earlier in terms of power uh, dissipated for all sorts of different reasons. But what had been accomplished? Harold uh, established, first of all, he established a goal that many of us, I don't, I think, have saw the possibilities in, which was to really finally address uh, and uh, institutional racism and institutional corruption. But in the city, he changed the way or showed it was possible to change the way business is done. He definitely um, put a death knell to the old democratic machine. It didn't mean that the normal kind of way that institutions operate to protect and defend themselves and maintain themselves and perpetuate themselves ended, but it meant that the way it had been being done since 1955, when Richard J. Daley began the, his version of a democratic machine or a political machine, uh, that those days were numbered and they have come to an end. It didn't mean some of the things they do were still around, but it wasn't the same machine and the same animal, so to speak. Um, what he did do was he put on he put on the table creating minority contracting and opportunities for it. He put on the table school reform. He put on the table um, uh, violence intervention. He put on the table uh, uh, the um, inclusion, a breadth of inclusion by creating all of the Women's Commission, the Latino Commission, the African Commission, all these different vehicles through which people all over the city who had been excluded now had an opportunity to come together on their own terms and be able to make some definition to find things and move them forward. That was true also with regards to the gay and lesbian community as we talked about it back in the day. Um, now it's been much more broadly recognized um, in terms of the inclusion of people who are transgender and bisexual, etc. But the point being that there were no, every all of the things I just mentioned were non. They were almost the unspeakable things. You couldn't talk about them. Uh, none of them. Uh, as at, 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 in 1983, when Harold Washington was elected, the notion when I first became alderman just four years later, when I started talking about affordable housing, I was like, it, you would have thought I was wearing horns. Um, it was you know, incomprehensible. Uh, when Harold was first elected and he established the Gay and Lesbian Commission, um, it was like uh, liaison. Uh, it was like, it was like, what's wrong with this guy? When, um, when, when, when the first minority contracting proposals were being discussed, it was like, you can't do that. You can't do that. It's not, you know, it won't pass federal muster or whatever. Um, it was, he raised the, raised the, the, 
the what do you call it? He raised the bar on all sorts of things that now we just take for granted, um, and that are very much a part of what we do every day. But we, or at least they're on the agenda. So we haven't done a great deal, I don't think, with affordability. And some of the things that he's, it's still stick in my mind. I mean, I can't, one of the things he said when he first became mayor, and I think he talked about this in the inauguration, but he definitely talked about it all the time on the stump, was that we are going to redefine Chicago's budget so that uh, we'll take out a lot, you know, we're, we're going to, everyone's going to have to, a full day's pay for full day's work. And this is important. He said a full day's pay for a full day's work. If you do that work, you're cool. He didn't say if you got hired, we're going to, by, by patronage, we're going to fire you. Or if you were a patronage worker, we're going to fire you. He said if you can't do the job because you got a patronage job, you're probably going to have to go work somewhere else. But anyone that does the job that they were hired for and is capable of doing it and willing to do that, you're good as gold and you're going to stay there. Um, and I think it's important to say that because now you have uh, consistently, you the powers that be like to use the argument that, I mean, it's constant and everyone's commercial. So it was true in the governor's race. It'll be true in the mayor's race. If somebody, it's always guilt by association that you attack people as opposed to what is someone actually doing? Do they actually, are they doing the job? So anyway, having said that, no, well, a little I, you know, I, I can't cut off, I can't cut off Helen Shirley. That's what <laughs> I, I look like an idiot <laughs> and sound like an <laughs> idiot too. No, but I, let's, I mean, Harold Washington, uh, it's also going to be 40 years this year. When he became yeah. mayor, that was a long time ago. Most people either weren't yeah. born or couldn't remember, and they haven't done their history, and they and they won't even listen to this podcast. Trust me. The bottom yeah. line is that, um, like, here's a perfect example. I mean, not to negate anything here in Washington, he was wonderful. He was great. Uh, it was a statistic. Um, uh, don't quote me on the source. I tell you off off air that uh, the murder rate in Chicago has not gone down below 400 since 400 murders, 400 people murdered since 1965. The point is that a lot of things have changed in Chicago, but I live on the far south side. And of course, now, of course, there's so many people ain't got no money, so many black folks have moved, and some of them criminals are going to the north side robbing people, and that's the issue. The point is that I just want to see a, uh, a, uh, some politicians and activists and leaders that say, hey, we're going to change this education system. We're really going to mm-hmm. change things. So we may have only 50 murders, maybe 100 murders. And when I get really old here in the far south side, because so, I don't plan to move right now, is that I can walk down the street not in fear of somebody busting me in the mm-hmm. head and robbing me. You, mm-hmm. you think we're going to see that kind of reform, Helen Schiller? Well, first of all, let me just tell you that if you look at the statistics, actually, that the level of violent crime, as reported, um, over the course of the last 40 years, that the period that, that four, I think it's four out of the five lowest years of the lowest amount of violent crime actually occurred during the time Harold Washington was elected, was mayor. And I think that um, it was still there and we still have a problem, but you can't um we're not going to be able to address that unless we're able to put the community on an even um even uh playing field which you, uh, all due respect you're dealing, you're dealing with capitalism racism and as far as african americans yeah, no, no you, you know what i'm saying you're, you're dealing with a lot of forces here and yeah, so and i know I and i'm totally I'm, a, I'm sure that mayor daly and i mean i shouldn't say this 
I guess that Mayor Daley and Mayor Emanuel wanted to shrink the city to move black people out, and thus solve a lot of problems because you have fewer African Americans, low income African Americans. Well, in theory, in theory, you have you have less crime. Do you agree? No. Look at how that works. Look at the difference in the population uh, demographics today and 20 years ago yeah, or 30 years no, ago. No, no, I know. I, I agree. I mean, I agree no, with you, but yeah. I'm saying, but, but y'all, ever since I've been a small child, they're going to move black people out of Chicago. And I always and tell, they did. And I always tell them, I said, y'all ain't got the message. I mean, we ain't got the message because some of us are still here. But yeah, right. but when I was a kid, I remember Chicago and I'm, I'm going long because you're just you're just a great guest. I got to take this maybe to 30 minutes. When I was a child, <laughs> I remember as, as I remember, I could be wrong. The CPS has 600,000 students back in the 70s, early late 60s, early yeah. 70s. Now yeah. it's on a three. And we're a shrinking city for a lot of a lot of different demographic reasons and all that, blah, 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 blah. But I don't see. I'm jaded, like a lot of people. Most people don't vote for mayor. They don't vote for anything. And I'm, I'm jaded. I haven't seen anything that makes me feel that in my lifetime, I can live in the city of Chicago and not have fear. Forget the statistics. I don't fear getting my head busted just walking a few blocks of my house. Does that make okay. sense? Okay. So let, I, I think that, that all of these things, that the, the circumstances that we're in today in large measure reflects a series of things that have happened in the last several decades. And if you look at the, um, and it's really incredible to me, um, starting in the first or second year of Richard M. Daly with the closing of the Chicago Addiction Treatment Center, um, following that then was the closing of all the mental health clinics that was finalized ultimately in its entirety when Ron became mayor. Um, there was beginning with Jane Byrne, the uh, closing of schools. Uh, which, of course, culminated in the huge numbers of closings that occurred when Rahm was mayor. And um, it, consistently, we have gone full circle from saying, from, uh, we've gone full circle with addressing crime by, by uh, who knows what. I mean, we, we've, we've got rid of, I don't actually, we got rid of, at one point, we got rid of the, the city's crime lab, and we're just using private places and the state and taking forever to get any kind of response. I'm not sure what the current state of that is today because I haven't been in the city council for 12 years. But um, we we have added all sorts of um, uh, paramilitary stuff to the police department, but it's done nothing in terms of lowering the level of violent crime. We have more... Um, it seems to me whenever I look at a press release, a press conference being held by the police commissioner or superintendent, I'm hearing only that the victim is being blamed and that the community is at fault. I don't hear anything about any investigative activities that the police are actually doing on their own or utilization of any technology. Let me stop. I, and this, I mean, with all due respect, I, yeah. I, I don't hear about education system. I, I did poorly in school for a lot of different reasons and most a lot of people who are in charge they did okay in school otherwise they wouldn't be where they were a lot of them right like the the present mayor she did well in school evidently well, they don't no one no one talks about creating a a public education system that will ensure i know it's a yeah. pipe dream i get it people it's a pipe dream but that will yeah. ensure that not one child not one student is from the cps becomes a neighborhood criminal i don't hear that yeah. You know, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that happened with education was that um, it's happened with almost every public institution, everything that's been public. It's true for the seat for transportation, it's true for housing, 
um, it's definitely true for education. Uh, there, that, 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 in the name of improving education, there have been, uh, especially through all of these um, uh, charter schools, resources have been withdrawn from the public school system and put into private hands undermining the ability of the public school system to provide the full breadth of things that are necessary in a school to be able to keep their morale up, to be able to have teachers uh, have the resources they need to teach in order to be able to respond to the needs of the students and to bring in the extra resources that they need. And I think that that's been a path that we've been going down for a number of years. And a lot of it is in the name of broadening opportunities. But in reality, what it's done is really undermine, I think, a lot of the morale in a lot of the schools and certainly the ability to get the resources in there that teachers need to be able to really make sure what you're talking about, which is that every student is approached from the perspective of the needs of that student and educated accordingly. Um, and I think that's a really big problem. And it didn't help, ultimately. First was the charter schools, then was the elimination of neighborhood schools, so that you didn't even then have the potential to be able to walk to school, be in your community, have that grow, be that as the basis for which you would be able to give support to teachers and get support back from the system and really make something, you know, really, really create the, uh, the kinds of reform that we needed, which was one that really gave every child the opportunity to learn because the resources were there and the assumption that they could learn was there as well. Um, so, yeah. Well, let, me, let me just first thank you, Helen Schiller, for being my guest, because this is great. <laughs> it really is. Uh, can you close out? I do like to talk about this stuff, no, especially I, now. I, 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 I bring, right I bring, I bring you back because you're excellent. Okay. The um, can you leave a close out the show and give us a little thought, some inspiration for all the activists and the leaders to keep them going so they won't give up, just keep at it. Give us a little inspiration, Helen Schiller. Well, what I do know is that we're engaged in a prolonged struggle. I do know that change happens. A to, you, not, you can't jump from A to Z. You have to really go from A to B to C. I also know that just because someone says something doesn't make it true. And just because someone says no doesn't mean there isn't a yes in there somewhere. And that through collective action and being really focused on the needs that you want to address, we can move mountains. We can do it collectively and we can do it as fast as we can move that shovel. So I think that um, we have no choice uh, for, I don't think we have any choice but to move forward. And um, in doing so, and doing so intentionally, uh, we can move those mountains and make those changes. It's not going to be easy. Doesn't mean people don't make sacrifices, but there's so much benefit engaged in it that they completely outshine the difficulties. And um, you know, that's what I think. That's what I encourage anyone to really use make you know keep your eye on the prize and um, and and keep on going because we have so much potential out there that can be changed. But we really need to do it. We need to figure out how to address issues with the police. We need to figure out what they're doing that they don't need to do and make sure someone that is capable and, and, and able to do that does it, take away from them the things that they're not already trained to do, put them in the hands of people who are, and then begin to look at what does it take to make this 
community, this city of ours and all the communities within it, communities where there is truly public safety like you are talking about we need.